This is such a cool state. I mean, come on, live free or die. You're the state where the shot was heard around the world. That last Senate I don't know if you're aware you're in New Hampshire. People in New Hampshire don't care about money. You can't buy a vote in New Hampshire. They want to see you, they want to touch you. I would like to do small groups, but if we announce that I'm coming to like a restaurant, all of a sudden there's, you know, a thousand people show up. His imagination must not be married to real power. Why not? You just don't want to see us fall backwards. You go to New Hampshire, there are not any minorities there and nobody lives there. Liar! Thank you, New Hampshire. And now, from the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, the existential flagship of presidential primary activity, your host, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, Neil Levesque, and because every ship needs a rusty anchor, Josh McKelvin. New Hampshire Live starts now. And we're back! Hello, everyone. This is Neil Levesque. Josh McKelvin. New Hampshire Live. Good, good. Are those... um... Are those sandals you're wearing? No, today? they're. Yeah, I don't, you can't even see my feet, so I don't know. It looks like your question. toes are painted a little bit. It's red, white, and blue, at least. Well, at least, you know, I'm star spangled awesome. We're going into, well, it's sort of like July 4th period. Everybody's minds are towards vacation. Heat of the summer here. We had a great podcast with Senator Amy Klobuchar last week. That was really, she was great. I heard. Um, yes, thanks for listening. And by the way, subscribe, Josh. I apologize for. What do you mean, subscribe? Am I not subscribed? Really? Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I will subscribe. Sorry, Neil. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, look, Klobuchar, she's impressive. Uh, and the more you learn about her, the more you realize that she has the ability to, to connect with people. But what we should be talking about in this podcast, I think, so President Trump, he re-upped. Not a big shock, but, you know, he went to Orlando, delivered what I thought was pretty much the same speech I heard, you know, four years ago from Trump Tower. Same villains, Hillary Clinton. Uh, same message lines, but then again, the people in the crowd, the people that wanted to hear what he had to say and ate it up. It's consistent, that's for sure. And so is his numbers. His numbers are so, despite all like the controversial things, something happens, something doesn't, he says something, he tweets something. His numbers are sort of like the ice on Lake Winnipesaukee. It's just completely flat. And so the people who love him, love him. And the people who don't, don't. And the problem with that scenario is if you're at 42, you really need to be around 51 or at least somewhere closer to 50 um, for that type of thing. Now, some people say that, well, pollsters don't pick up on the people that uh, you know are voting for Donald Trump. They, they don't want to say that they're voting for him and they don't want to answer calls from pollsters. Fair enough. It's a theory. Uh, he won last time and he didn't poll well. So I guess you know I don't completely discount these things. This is what people say. So let me just say this because the numbers I'm worried about are numbers of people who are listening to this podcast. And so let's get raw with Donald Trump. we got to be honest here. I mean, there has been so many times that I've looked at him, whether he was a candidate or president, where I thought, okay, this is the beginning of the end. And we've heard that before. Whether it was John McCain as a candidate, whether it was the, the travel ban and the Muslims, whether it was Billy Bush on the bus, uh, he keeps surviving. As president, he's gone through investigations and and uh, so much is coming out of the White House with his inability to keep his core staff together. Uh, I just kept thinking to myself, all right, well, this is finally where the, the dam starts to break. And I can't believe that here we are, Juneteenth or whatever, and he has now announced, and the numbers, as you pointed out, have not dipped. And if the economy is still strong, who's going to beat him? 
Well, it's I guess it's who the Democrats put up. If they put up a candidate that's sort of mid-America, Pennsylvania, Ohio, states like that, that can win states like that, um, he could be in trouble. The Some of the folks today, Karl Rove said today that, that Texas could be in play. Now, if you think about that, Texas, um, if the president of the United States loses Texas, I, I can only guess where California goes. Um, all due respect <clears throat> to Karl, Karl Rove, I, we're all just throwing darts at the dartboard, and we're totally guessing at this point, and we learned that on election night in 2016. Well, I don't, I don't think that political science and polling is guessing. I think it's science, and um, there may be theories and reasons why certain things don't get picked up in polls, but I think generally it's science, and I think that his numbers are where they are, you know, a, maybe a 42%, 43% area. And in politics, you need to grow. And you're right. The economy is good. So people say, well, I don't want to screw that up. So I'm going to vote for him. So he's he's putting his poker chip on the economy, essentially. And we've got some time to go here before that November election in uh, 18 months, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, if something goes wrong there, what else do you point to if you're Donald Trump saying, you know, why this is, you know, keep America great again or whatever he said the other night. It's interesting. Next week, we got the, the Democratic candidates debating over a course of two nights. By the way, that is that's awful for people like me and you. You know, we have to sit there and watch two two nights of debates. Well, what I'll do is I'll come in after the second night and say, "What, what happened?" Do you think? And then I'll co-opt <laughs> your, your opinion. It's like the State of the Union. We used to the State of the <laughs> Union is a great thing to not watch right. and just look for the reaction the next day. It's just a whole group of uh, platitudes and. Speeches. Well, what's different in the Democratic field right now than, than it was, say, two months ago? Where, where is that that high energy? I mean, sure, there's been Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg had his had his moment, but there hasn't been the dramatic spikes no. that we saw in the Republican field a few years back, where someone was a clear front runner at that time. Right. So we, we've got this all of a sudden this sort of love for Biden, and I don't know if it's a deep love, but. I think it's kind of akin to the fact that if you ever go into one of these cafeteria restaurants, go in, you start looking around, you think of all the different things you can have for dinner, and then you see the cheese pizza and you just get the cheese pizza. (laughs) And I think maybe Democrats are saying there's a lot of great choices here. They're all very interesting. I like what they have to say, but you know, Biden, he's the proven guy. He's the safe choice. He's the safe choice. Now, there's a lot of comparisons right now to him and Hillary Clinton in the fact that their campaigns are are, are similar. Now, that it's not necessarily the ca- the campaign of Hillary and the campaign of Biden. It's the campaign of the front runner. It's a low risk campaign. Um, Nixon sort of started doing this in '68, where he basically had one event per day, and it was a very calculated event. He knew he was going to make the news with it because everyone knew who Richard Nixon was. Everyone knows who Joe Biden is. So Biden can come out. Make do one serious event a day, make the news, sure. make the papers. But he's got to also deal with being the front runner. And all due respect to Joe Biden, I've met him a few times, I like him personally. I think he's an honest man. I think he's a great public servant and he's walked the walk. But um, the dynamic personality that I think is going to be required to at least equal what Donald Trump brings to the table in terms of just the rhetoric and all the, you know, whether it's anger. Or whatever. Uh, I don't know if he's got it. And what we're seeing, the, the challenge of any front runner, right? The first front runner, the rest of the field's coming at you. And we're seeing it already. Whether it's how he hugs people or whether it's his dealings with segregationists way back in the day. You know, this is just the beginning of the Joe Biden takedown attempt by everyone in the field. Right. So time is really his enemy, right? Right. And he's got a lot of time. 
So it's probably a nerve-wracking thing, hoping every every day you get to cross off the calendar, you're that much closer to winning a nomination. The one good thing that the president's done is uh, he's engaged Biden directly. And God, Biden's campaign must just say, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, one of the tricks is if you can engage in a primary, if you can engage the opposite party immediately, oh, that's so much better because right. it's, you know, just... He's not talking Fuels about the base. Pete Buttigieg in the White House or or, or Klobuchar or um, any number. Of, it's Joe Biden. It's Joe right. Biden. Is. He has identified his number one challenge. And if he if he took on one of those other candidates, they would love it because it could be a two person race. And 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 Biden can basically say a summation of this type of answer, which is, look, I'm the only person that can beat Donald Trump, and Donald Trump knows it. That was an old Congressman Charlie Bass statement back in 1994, and he, he had a, lo- a lot of field in the primary, just like this primary, and he used that saying, and it and it really does work because, you know, then you say to yourself as a voter, boy, I guess Trump is concerned about Biden. Maybe that's who I give a vote to. If voters are even thinking about it at this point, give me your take on, on his, what we heard him say at his, at his launch, uh, if, if you watched it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm wondering who's advising him, and I'm wondering... Uh, uh, what the strategy is moving forward if one actually exists. I mean, this guy flies by the seat of his pants. Well, that's definitely true. I think uh, Trump is somebody who is hard to advise. He He's his own advisor. <laughs> and we've known that. We've seen that. You and I have actually sort of experienced that. Did you see close. the Stephanopoulos interview, by the way, with him? I did. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, if you if you're his campaign political director, that's a tough job. But somehow... He has become president of the United States. And I think what he does is he some he takes things and boils it down so that people who don't necessarily engage in politics all the time say, aha, I get it. Low energy Joe. That's Joe Biden. You know, and all the nicknames he has for different people. You know, he boils things down with climate change where he says, yeah, we're going to put up solar panels. And then when you want to watch TV, honey, how come the TV is not working? You know, <laughs> I, I think that that sort of makes sense to it's a like lot the of coal people. industry regulate itself. I, yeah. mean, I know it's, uh, <laughs> it gets away with a lot, but you're right. It's because of what you talked about at the very beginning. Uh, those numbers may be flat, but they're not sinking and they're not going to go anywhere no matter what he does. So barring a major, Major issue. I see you rapping me. I might have a brilliant thought. I don't, though, so we're done. Yeah, we'll be back next week with more candidates. Please push that you like it and that you subscribe and tell your friends about us, New Hampshire Live. Thanks, Josh. See you.